1: What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner.
0: Good morning, everyone. This is Chris Wall. On behalf of Kate Ebner, I'm the guest host today, and I am absolutely delighted to be interviewing Bob Anderson, who I view as a colleague and a friend and a visionary who has created one of the most uh, useful 360 processes that I've ever used in my work as a coach and a consultant. So he is the author of the Leadership Circle 360 Process, and this is a process that looks at the inner operating system of a leader, what the leader has learned, what is getting in the leader's way, what thought habits are driving the leader's behavior. This is an instrument that is used around the world. Bob speaks around the world about various aspects of conscious leadership, which of course we at the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University are very interested in. And he speak and his all of his ideas on leadership are really based on what he has learned through creating and developing the leadership circle over the years. Bob is also writing a book on what he's learned through all of his research. And this book promises to be amazing for those of us who work with leaders and who are leaders. Um because it's going to look at what is required from leaders today, and what kind of consciousness is required to be the leader in a world that is as complex as ours is today. So I am just so happy to welcome you, Bob. How are you this morning? Thank you.
2: I'm wonderful.
0: (laughs) Good. (laughs) So we like to start these, Bob, with hearing a little bit about your story, and I know from from knowing you over the years, that you started in agriculture, in the agriculture business, and that you studied economics, yet here you are working in the world in a very profound way about people development and leadership development. Can you tell us a little bit about how this journey happened?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful journey, actually. My dad was an engineer, mm-hmm. and... Um, one of his ways of being in relationship with us was to create pretty complex work projects. So we had a steel fabrication shop in the basement, um, fully equipped and I grew up learning to draw and read blueprints and build things. So I was fascinated by engineering and I thought that's what I was going to do. And then I, Mm -hmm. I made a retreat in high school and, uh, I just, it just, uh, people began to completely galvanize me. So I spent my college years, you said I ended up majoring in economics, but I spent all of my extracurricular time in some form of learning about personal and spiritual development and working with people, and uh, would spend my summers down in Kentucky on what was called the time of people farm, where young men would come a week, and it was just incredible transformation when it happened. So, you know, I, I end a whole summer like that, and a week later, I'm back in economics, and I'm going, what does economics and finance and, and statistics and accounting have to do with, oh, how I just spent my summer? And some voice mm-hmm. in me said, stay the course. Mm-hmm. It will make sense. And um, I even went on to take extra courses in Statistics, advanced statistics and econometrics and computer science programming and stuff like that. And, of course, looking back now, as Steve Jobs said, all the dots connect. Mm -hmm. When you look back, they don't connect going forward. Looking back now, it's it's, uh, uncanny, actually, that I was um, putting all that together somehow or something in me knew, you know, what I wanted to be up to in my life, and I didn't consciously know that. No. So I did, I started my career in uh, my family's agribusiness, and my I ran the plant that makes hog food and dog food. So that's how mm-hmm. I started my career.
0: Hog and food and dog food?
2: Hog <laughs> food and dog food. This is <laughs> where I started my career. Yeah. And one night in the middle of the night, the plant was down. Long story short, I was inside a rail car trying to get the plant back online. It was needed, needed some ingredients and stuff, and I'm cleaning it out, and all of a sudden... I just, as I was done, I propped my feet up inside this rail car, and out of my mouth, out loud, unrehearsed, came, in a very authoritative voice, I'm not becoming who I am. Ooh. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew it was true the moment it came out my mouth, and uh, I started a discernment process that Long story, I ended up in a master's program in organization development, took a job in healthcare, uh, was not very long after that promoted to the director of organizational leadership development in this healthcare institution, and when that happened, I asked for cut and pay, Um, Mm -hmm. and the purpose for the cut was to put that money in my travel budget so that I could learn from the best in the field. And that was the time, this was mid-'80s, when I got connected with Peter Block, Block Petrillo-Weisbord, Charlie Kiefer, Peter Senge, Robert Fritz, Clay Lafferty at Human Synergistics, and I was soaking up some of the premier frameworks, models, research that were going on at that time in the field, and I was fascinated by it all, and I was... (laughs) confused by it all. In other words, I would describe it now as a random collection of really great stuff. So the field is largely fragmented and unintegrated.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: yet I could sense that there was a larger integration here. What Peter was talking about when he talked about caution, political scripts, it's tied together with what Fritz was saying about reactive orientation, mm-hmm. tied together with what Clay Lafferty was saying about unconstructive beliefs and assumptions that, and so I started to knit. I started to do what I learned in the basement, which is how to put blueprints together and make things work together, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and I had a love of models from my economics days. And so I started building integrative frameworks for all that I was learning. And, um, I, uh, that went on for years. I spent about many, fifteen years doing that.
0: Fifteen years, wow.
2: Fifteen uh-huh. years of
0: this sort of knitting together, piecing together, figuring out how yep. all of these theories could be integrated.
2: Yep. And it all came together when I got into Bob Keegan's work on stages of development. And that reframed for me everything. And we can talk about we can talk about that if we want to go there, but it was the biggest and most important framework I'd come across in all my years. And when it, when I, when it, when I got deeply into his work and the other, and the other developmental frameworks, I began to realize that the whole model, uh, reconfigured itself into what is now the model that underlies the leadership circle. And it was after that that I set about to create, uh, an assessment that could work at the level of depth that we were already working with, with our clients, but didn't have any way to measure and provide feedback from within a much more integrated framework and at the level of depth in which I wanted to work with leaders. Wow. And so we built the leadership circle and surprise, I'm as surprised as anybody that has grown <laughs> into a worldwide business and is used now all over the world. Yeah.
0: So, oh, Bob, thank you for that story. I had no idea um, about your 15-year journey of Mm -hmm. learning and putting things together. Uh, It's probably one of the reasons I like the Leadership Circle so much is that I see so many of the theories at work in it. Uh, For those people in the audience who don't know what the Leadership Circle is, can you give a brief sense of what it actually measures?
2: Well, if you're familiar with the 360 feedback assessment provides feedback to leaders Mm -hmm. from bosses, peers, directs, and so on. And at one level, it measures the kind of key competencies that all the good 360 assessments measure. If you look at them, there's a surprising overlap, really, in terms of the the dimensions that they're measuring because the field Mm -hmm. has really sifted and sorted and said, these are the eh, 15 to 20 key competencies that really make a difference uh, and differentiate leaders and uh from effective from ineffective, and so um it measures that, but it also measures the kind of um behaviors that we run that are less effective when they are mm-hmm. strong, and the beliefs and assumptions the thinking that underlies that and yeah. so and it's measuring the competencies at one stage of development and the reactive beliefs and assumptions and behaviors at an earlier level of development. So it's all built around uh, this stage framework that I mentioned built around Kagan's model. So leaders are getting a very in-depth look at their leadership, what works, what's not working, and are invited to go into the inner game and say, well, how am how am I constructing my inner game that's getting me this pattern of results in my leadership and my level of effectiveness. So um, that's, in a nutshell, what the leadership circle
0: measures. So so basically it it, um, measures all the key competencies that that the field, which has done such a good job of creating, the field has created competencies that most of us can agree
2: with. And yeah, in addition, if you look at Zenger's research in, in extraordinary leaders, he's, he did a thorough research of the competency literature in that book and said there's only, a, there's only a 16 key competencies. Mm-hmm. Well, his measure has his 16, but I mean, he's making a very important point that the field has sorted to these are the things that really make a difference. Right.
0: And so the difference that, that the leadership circle can make in a leader's life is to really help them look at the inner thoughts, the inner habits. You call it the inner game really or the inner operating system. Because uh-huh. these uh that can actually derail them or stop them or keep them keep them at a stage of development, according to Keegan, that may not really fit the complexity that the leader
2: is facing. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's designed to be a developmental tool in that sense designed to create a conversation that is developmental by design and so when you're inviting someone to look at the full pattern of how they're deploying themselves and then the automatic uh, assumptions and in keegan language they might be subject to those assumptions meaning they don't see them Um, they see through them so um, they're running on autopilot in ways we don't See, to invite a leader into that level of inquiry can mm-hmm. be immediately transformative. You can get immediate access to uh, significant shifts in behavior. That, combined with a focus this goes to Robert Fritz's and Peter Senghi's creative tension, when you when you um, really focus on what you want, which is the top half of the circle, so what is it I'm really trying to become, how do I want Mm -hmm. to show up differently, when you're looking at what you want and how you get in your own way of that, Mm -hmm. you're in a very, you're just in a very high leverage conversation that is developmental.
0: Yes, and I've been in those conversations with people. They're developmental. They're rich. They can be profound. They can be a little scary. Um, can, yeah, can you talk a little bit about something you said about automatic assumptions? Because that is one of the things that your assessment does um, provide in some ways. It provides a provides a window into what a leader automatically assumes. And you said either the assumption has them, or the well, you didn't actually say that. Or they have I'm, it. I'm, or they have it, right? Right. And you said, you said they look through those assumptions, and I think that needs to be clarified
2: um, because... Yeah, so let me just use myself as an example. So one of the things right. that happened in that steel fabrication shop yeah. in the basement was every night the work got checked, and uh, Dad would come home, and there would be a level, a square, and he'd uh, and a tape measure, and he'd, he'd check the work. Mm -hmm. And if it was, I'm talking perfect, we're talking Mm -hmm. perfect. If it was like within a 32nd of an inch, everything just right, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: boy, would he beam. But if it wasn't, look out. So, Mm. you know, I learned so much there about how to be precise and create really, really, you know, create results and so on. But I also got in my wiring, it's either perfect or Look out. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up with a, an assumption that went on autopilot, yes. perfect or else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that served me for many, many years. And then the business that grew up around me, that belief wasn't complex enough. I didn't really know I had it. Mm-hmm. Others were at the receiving end of my perfectionistic demands. Um, and it was punishing, and it wasn't helpful for them. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it, so the belief mm-hmm. had me. It right. was running on autopilot mm-hmm. until I could see it and realize that it wasn't true, actually.
0: Yeah, and that perfect duality is an insufficient mental model for the kind of uh, I'm sorry, leading. the kind of what?
2: For, yeah, for leading. We had a. Yeah. I was working with a senior team years ago and every mm-hmm. single member of this team had a strong score on perfection. High. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got asked, well, what does that mean? And I gave him a brief explanation like I just did here. And uh, yeah. one of the leaders said, let me go out on a limb here. He said, you remember when we uh, submitted our strategic plan to the system, to the healthcare system? It had 26 key strategic directions on it. Mm-hmm. They came back and said, Mm, too many. You'll never get all this done. Uh, redo it. So we did. But what we did was we added a few more, and then bulleted them under five subheaders. I mean, you know, made five headers and bulleted the rest under those mm-hmm. those headers. Yeah. Sent it back to them, and they said, "Good. Now you're organized." I knew. He said, that we would never uh, complete that. I knew that we were all straining. And I, given the level of achievement in this room, mm-hmm. there was no way I was going to be the first guy to cry uncle and say, mm-hmm. that's not doable and it's not focused. Right. And so here they were out of the, out of this assumption, actually colluding to create a strategic direction for the organization that lacked the very focus that strategy needs to have. Strategy's about cutting so that you're focused on what is really important. Right. So that, that belief had them, not only individually, but collectively.
0: Collectively. And nobody had the guts to really say, this is not doable, even though they may, may have been feeling it. The collective... Uh,
2: the collective Everybody belief. owned that they were feeling it. A number of people said they were thinking about leaving mm-hmm. because the pressure was just too great. Great. And um, it wasn't until they broke through on that conversation that they began to say, no, that's really... Now, let's really get focused.
0: That's great. So, it's time for a break right now. We'll come back to this conversation. Thank you all for listening. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about breakthroughs and leadership complexity. Thank you, Bob.
2: Yes.
1: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward ITL. Email ITL programs at georgetown.edu or call 202 687 7000. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, Produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms@georgetown.edu. at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
0: Hi there, this is Chris Wall with the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We're in a wonderful conversation with Bob Anderson, who is the creator of the Leadership Circle Profile. He's a writer, he's a visionary, and he's a really conscious man and leader who has beautiful ideas about the complexities that leaders face today. We've been talking about his profile, which I think is one of the most powerful 360 assessments out there, and we just finished the conversation about automatic assumptions and how those can really grab hold of a leader's mindset and how the leadership circle actually helps people see those mindsets and move through them. And so the moving through to a different mindset is really what can help a leader uh, get out of what Bob on his assessment calls the reactive mode and into what he would call the more creative mode. And in the creative mode, the leader is no longer hamstrung by ideas that are really probably pretty old ideas, like Bob's example of, I need to be perfect or else. We heard a great story about how perfection got in the way of a strategic planning process. So Bob, here we are. And what I think would be really interesting for our audience is to hear you talk a little bit about the complexities that you're seeing around the world that leaders are facing today. What
2: are some of the things that you're noticing? Yeah. We'll come back. I'll start there, but I want to come back also to um, this whole notion of reactive structure of mind versus creative structure of mind and reactive not being, in our opinion, complex enough for the complexities of your space. Okay,
0: great. So,
2: um, I want to, just a couple things. In 2010, IBM did a that they they do it every two years and do a study of CEOs and what's top of mind for them, what they're worried about, focused on, what they're trying to do with their organizations. And, uh, in 2010, two themes emerged that had never emerged, even made the list in prior studies. Hmm. The first was challenge, the challenge of escalating complexity. Yeah. And in that study, they mentioned that they were surprised by the vulnerability with which CEOs talked about feeling over their head and wondering whether they had what it takes to lead through that much complexity
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and volatility and constant renewal and change and reinventing the organization. And I also, I mean, I have my own experience there of having an organization grow up around me Mm -hmm. in the leadership circle that quickly became a global organization. And... Um, spending a lot of time at four in the morning, wide awake, (laughs) I call it the four o'clock in the morning club. I hate that club. Uh, you're wide, (laughs) you're wide awake trying to figure out how to navigate through, uh, very complex challenges with lots of key stakeholders and different perspectives and different business models and different stages of development of the businesses that are involved and and so on. So, um, Complexity is escalating by everybody's account. And the basic principle here is can we meet the complexities of the challenges with a more complex operating system? In other words, if if our inner game isn't mature enough, if it isn't as complex or more complex than the challenges we face, we're outmatched. We're over our heads. Right. And... We, the longer that goes on, because the bar continues to raise, the longer that goes on, the less relevant we become individually to the organization as a leader, but also then collectively to our marketplace. And so, the, what we call the leadership imperative now, is that we evolve the effectiveness and capability of leadership at the pace of escalating complexity, at a minimum. In other words, the minimum pace of development needs to keep pace with escalating complexity, and if it doesn't, you fall behind.
0: Yeah. So, this challenge of escalating complexity is something that you're seeing and actually that you've experienced yourself. Um. And t- talk a little bit about that reactive structure of mind and how that doesn't fit with escalating complexity. Is that a place that you feel like yeah. you're to go? Well, yeah. Yes,
2: exactly. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: one of the, the example I gave before the break was to try to give one little snippet of where a reactively structured mind mm-hmm. um, wasn't complex enough for the challenge that they were facing. So this is just how it works. So reactive, and all our data, all our data supports this. So we have on the leadership circle profile eleven measures of various Mm -hmm. forms of reactive mind, reactive behavior, and assumptions that run them. I mentioned one imperfection. There's ten others,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and. If you take the aggregate score of those all those and get an average reactive score, and you correlate that against measures of leadership effectiveness, now this is feedback scores from others, not self-scores. Self-scores we find out don't correlate real well, but when you you aggregate feedback scores and you correlate them to measure of leadership effectiveness provided by those feedback providers, it's significantly inverse, meaning... It's a negative 0.7 correlation, Mm -hmm. roughly. So So, the stronger uh, our reactive tendencies, the less likely we are to be experienced as an effective leader.
0: Right. And And that's with about a half
2: a million surveys.
0: Okay, half a million.
2: More around the world.
0: Yes. And the reactive tendencies... Creative
2: Creative is just the opposite, Chris. Creative... Uh, if you take the average creative competency score and correlate it to the mm-hmm. same measure of effectiveness, you get a positive correlation of 0.93, which is almost one-to-one. Yeah. So um, that that would be one example of the kind of metrics we now have that suggest that the stage of mind of reactive, out of which about 80% of adults are operating, right. according to Kagan's research and others, um, is just not as effective as it needs to be in order to be a competitive advantage today. Mm-hmm.
0: So if 80% of leaders are at what we would call a reactive mindset, that's mm-hmm. what you're saying, right?
2: You yeah, have different research- theories, there's different theories, and they draw the line. They, they all describe the same basic trajectory of development, mm-hmm. but, and they draw the lines at different places so the measures look different. Uh, depending on the model, but if you look at, say, Susan cook model. Right. Uh, which you're familiar with. Right. Map. How many, what's the, how many people are at individualist or pluralist or higher, see?
0: Well, it's... I think maybe around 20%. So yeah, I think that exactly. the percentages match up with what you're saying. So what's the effect of that? If 80% of our leaders are at uh, a reactive state of mind, which means that maybe they haven't reflected on what they believe. Maybe they're not aware of their assumptions. Um, the, the, their ability to handle complexity is highly compromised by right. an inability to see how they're, wor- how they're working their way through the world. And what you're saying is, I think what you're saying is that business performance suffers and effectiveness suffers in the kind yeah. of complex world we have when leaders are operating uh, at more of this uh, reactive level than the 20% creative level.
2: Right. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Exactly. All right. So we go in, we'll often start some of our sessions by just a show of hands. And it's a kind of um, rhetorical question, but it gets attention. We'll say, how many of you would agree mm-hmm. that effective leaders outperform ineffective leaders? That yeah. the business performance is a is significantly determined by the effectiveness of its leadership. Every hand goes up. Mm-hmm. Nobody argues with that. We know that. And actually, if you look at our research in Zinger, so we did a study on how all this relates to business performance mm-hmm. and got very high correlations again as well. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows that the effectiveness of leadership, both individually but even more importantly collectively, is a significant contributor to how the business performs. Right. And we also know that reactive level mind and behavior
0: mm-hmm.
2: is consistently measures ineffective or inverse to effectiveness. So it's just not complex enough yeah. for the pressures and challenges that leaders are facing every day.
0: Mm-hmm. So what this means... Um, And you, well, let me just back up a little bit. And so you have research also on organizations where the reactive tendency predominates. And what you're also saying is that their business effectiveness is uh, compromised by the reactive tendencies.
2: Okay. We did a study. We just did a, I'll go really quickly here, but we did a study where we got measures, subjective measures of Mm -hmm. how well is this business performing from the managers Mm -hmm. Work in them. We correlated that with scores on the 360 feedback. Mm-hmm. In the businesses that were evaluated as we highest performing, top 10 percent, highest performing businesses, the aggregate okay. creative score was at 80 percent. 80 percent compared to our worldwide norm gate base. The reactive right. score was at 20 percentile, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. much lower than our norm base. Mm-hmm. The reverse was the, almost the exact reverse was true in the underperforming businesses that were rated at bottom ten percent. Reactive scores averaged at the seventieth percentile, meaning higher than seventy percent of our norm base, mm-hmm. and creative scores were at the thirtieth percentile, quite low.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: all of it all points toward yes, um, the very the same conclusion.
0: Yes and the, and the, the there are a couple of conclusions. One is that the operating system of a leader really, really matters for business effectiveness and business performance. That's one conclusion yeah yes. another yeah, and another conclusion is that there's a there's a leadership imperative um there's an invitation for leaders to come forward and really learn who they are work on what what you call, what many of us call, that inner operating system. Would you agree with that?
2: Absolutely. The, the inner yeah. game runs the outer game. The inner uh, game
0: runs the outer game. And yet, you know, you have clients, I have clients, where the outer game is so consuming.
2: Well, it and, is consuming. So
0: yeah.
2: uh, let's just, you know, having sat in a chair for a long enough period of time, it is consuming. And there is a very steep learning curve there. Yes. So if you look at a professional athlete, the amount of time that they spend working on that outer game is considerable. It's no different for a senior executive. And there's a lot uh, of learning and mastery there. So it is a consuming. And then, of course, all the pressures of time. and Right. Stuff. Uh, so it's a right. very, and we can't, You can't just say that you need a more mature inner game in order to be effective. You need them both.
0: You need them both. You need to know know the domain that you need to be a master in. So whatever your business is, right? Right. And and, um, what I see in so many of my clients is that business, all those business imperatives and the learning around the business takes so much time. And there's such a tendency, rightfully so, to want to achieve, Mm -hmm. you know, that um, this inner game takes a back seat. Yeah. And what you're saying is that the inner game is just as important as the
2: outer game. That right? Yeah, ignore either to your peril. I mean, it, uh, it's just as important. It's like, it's like, why does Windows, why does Microsoft keep upgrading Windows? hmm Because the operating system, its complexity, its maturity, the more sophisticated it gets, The more you can do, the more you can do with it. So, with greater ease, less time, greater creativity, more agility, and so on. So the metaphor is really apt actually. Yes. And the design of that, uh, inner operating system is uh, what makes a computer so it works so well.
0: Right. Right. So when we apply that to business, um what do you think what do you think is important for leaders to start to think about so that that inner operating system actually gets some attention?
2: Well, this is our whole argument, so
0: okay, well, um, hear your argument.
2: effectiveness you know i mean it it is the whole argument we've been in it and around it. Effectiveness matters uh-huh. um collective effectiveness really matters how you show up together to lead the organization, right. and uh, real mastery and maturity there matters. Yeah. Um, and if it's not evolving at the pace of change and escalating complexity, you're falling behind. Right. And so to really get good, you need to work on both games. Right. And um, what I think, and here's where I think the field has missed, we separate development work from the business. We use right. a different language for it. We don't use business language for it. Um, uh so we we do them as off sites, we do them as one offs. Um it's typically episodic, we go off site, we do a team building and so on. So how do you get the development conversation happening inside the business conversation?
0: Right.
2: So that like there's the no
0: separation. Like I know, I mean, many of my clients. The finance conversation is a pretty frequent conversation, right? right? Or the so, or the acquisition conversation, or the, you know, right. how are we going to diversify conversation? These are very popular conversations with the clients I'm working with,
2: and very and necessary. So, how do you have the acquisition conversation in a way that's developmental? Right. Because people get reactive. So I was I worked with a client for a year, senior team. When I went in there, I was brought in because the CEO said, we've hit a ceiling on sales and revenue. We've not been able to punch through it. And the last time Mm -hmm. that happened to me, I fired everybody and started over. I think there's a better way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know. Let me talk to your people. So I did. Well, the finance guy was described by half the team as the devil incarnate. Mm -hmm. Literally. This guy Mm -hmm. is evil. Mm-hmm. I won't work with them, can't trust them. And mm-hmm. on and on and on and on. There was so much going on in that team. Well, they actually got to a place where they could really have the honest conversations and work it through without taking it all so personally and so on. So mm-hmm. the last day I met with the CFO, he said, Bob, you want to know what's different after a year? We just did an acquisition conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you
2: know, the CEO wants to sell the business. Yeah. And, um... So this is a big deal. Two years ago, it would have taken us three to six months, and it would have been painful. We did it in three days, and it was fun.
0: Wow! So let's that's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. And so when we come back from break, we'll talk about what that difference is. If you can name it, that would be great. And how actually this kind of leadership uh, can can have an impact on business, and on our world. Thank you, Bob. We'll be back.
1: is an international center for inquiry, experiential education and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward ITL. Email ITL programs at georgetown.edu or call 202 687 7000. listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms@georgetown.edu. at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, this is Chris Wall. I'm the guest host today for the Georgetown Institute for Transformational Leadership radio program. I am on the, on the line with uh, Bob Anderson, who is the creator of the Leadership Circle Profile, uh, big thinker, a wonderful human being. So, Bob, you were in the middle of a story. You were t- towards the end of a story about coming into a client system where the client system was stuck and where the CEO said, boy, these three days with you, Bob, have really made a difference. Can you tell us what the difference was? What did the CEO notice? That was well, different?
2: first of all, it wasn't three days. It was a year's worth of work. So this is, um, I worked with that senior team over the course of an entire year.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Light touches all the way along. And mm-hmm. um, But one of the things that we really worked with them on was how to have really honest, direct, clean conversations with each other. And um, what what in our parlance we call authentic, courageous conversations. Yeah, okay. And they really got good at that. They took that on as a developmental challenge for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when I said, you know, we did it in three days, we did an acquisition in three days, it was a hot political conversation. The CFO said to me, he says, you know what? I would, a year ago, I wouldn't trust his numbers and he wouldn't trust my numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. It would have been, we we might've made the same decision, mm-hmm. but, um, and actually they, they chose not to make the acquisition, even though the CEO was trying to really wanted to, because he was going to retire and he wanted to go out on a big note, you know, mm. and it was his, he owned the business. So he wanted to mm. sell it or hand it off to his family with, you know, look at what I created with my life. Um. And so there was a lot of pressure to make the acquisition, and they decided not to, for good reason, and they felt good about the decision. But the difference was we cut through it quickly. We did it in three days, and it was fun, as opposed to six months, three to six months, and painful. Mm -hmm. And so this is the promise of development, dealing with complex, politically charged, high-pressure issues, Mm -hmm. and being able to... That's Peter Senge says, get the collective intelligence to be above the intelligence of, the you know, individual average of uh, individual intelligence. And so, mm-hmm. um, but when you look, when you look at what does it take to really show up in a, in a tough conversation, authentically, cleanly, listen and so on, it takes everything we've just been talking about. So, right. um, and, and P, one of my early mentors was Peter Block, and he worked on this. He went, right, he started into how do we get the truth to be told in the meeting room mm-hmm. rather than in the bathroom or at the bar. Mm-hmm. There right. people talk and say, can you believe what, can't believe what's going on. You go in the meeting room, and it all gets very different. And, um, and so he started out with that as an outer game issue. He started out with skills and practice, and he quickly ran into caution. Right. If I really said what I think around here, I'd get shot. Right. Um, and so he had to get underneath the underpinnings of caution.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's where you run into the, uh, the beliefs and assumptions. Right. So And
0: people, and people protect themselves because uh, they're, they're afraid of some of the emotion that comes out. Trust, which right. we talked about in this last one, was a very, sounds like it was a very big deal for this team to learn how to trust each other which, by the way, is my experience with many of the teams I work with, is that trust is at the bottom of a lot of the issues. Right. And it, helped, and it really, you know, these emotions keep people in what you're calling the reactive mode. I have to say, Bob, my concern when I hear things like 80% of our leaders are in the reactive mode is... Um, I don't even know how to put words to my concern. I It feels like if our if our world of leaders is primarily in the reactive mode, it really makes you wonder, you know, where is the hope? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's particularly difficult right now to look out. Um, yeah. You take what's going on in our government here. It's um, it's just reactive, banging against mm-hmm. reactive. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's not a lot of constructive uh, give and take going on and so the whole uh, the whole, uh, whole game has become reactive. Yeah.
0: And so much and, of it is about protecting a person's ego. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, yes. Uh, we all have an ego and re- reactive is a level of ego. Right. Creative is a is a next order level of ego, but it's still an ego. Yes. It's, it's organized on something very very different. The mm-hmm. creative ego is organized around um, a deeper sense of discern now, purpose. What, what really matters to me? So when when I heard that voice go, you're not becoming who you are, Yes. that began a process. And that process took years of yes. getting really, really clear, what do I really want to be about? What do I stand for? What really matters to me? What's the contribution I want to make with my work and my life and so on? What are the key principles and values that are going to guide and shape that? That became Mm -hmm. a a discipline or practice of work, and that's Mm -hmm. the core discipline or focus, yet creative mind.
0: Right. Sort of the question, what is it I I truly want to give my life
2: energy to? That's why Keegan calls it self-authoring. Covey called it independent because Mm -hmm. I'm no longer dependent on those reactive assumptions where I uh, right. I depend on outside validation for my sense of worth and right. security.
0: Right, and it's becoming conscious of those,
2: which there's is by two,
0: itself two, a major there's developmental two, stage, right? Or yeah, a, a there's major, major developmental move. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sorry, I'm talking over you. <laughs> Go
0: ahead. <laughs> you got an idea. Go.
2: There's two main movements. One is being able to see the habits, see the habits of mind that have gone on autopilot that have me playing not to lose or playing too small. Right. Play, taking over the meeting when I should be listening, um, getting highly critical or char- charged when I would be better to step back and really bring perspective and so on. So how do I see the assumptions that are running? in? that's one practice. Mm-hmm and freeing up from the illusion that's in them. My worth is not dependent on how you see me, Mm -hmm. whether that be perfect or whether you like me, approve of me, and so on. That's really um, a play not to lose game. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: The second movement is what happens when Mm -hmm. mind starts to evolve into creative mind is that that the, the natural question that emerges is, what do I really want and care about? And when you get the 2 that's why the profile is designed around top half bottom creative and right. reactive. When you get the two together, what is it I really want to become? Be about create combined with a way to get access to how you're getting in the way of that.
0: Mhm.
2: Then then it it, it just it's uh, developmental.
0: Yeah, I totally see that. And so back to my question about where's the hope the hope is in those 20%, and, and in the 80%, some of those 80% who want to start to move their own consciousness to a creative level. Um, what advice do you have for those leaders out there who are in the 20%, who's, who's, who really want to bring their teams forward, who really want to help people get out of their own way? What advice do you have to them for creating greater effectiveness and performance?
2: Um, hold the developmental agenda.
0: Okay. Hold it yourself.
2: There is talk about
0: what that a, means.
2: Well, when we go into organizations and we, we, we look at what's going on there, there there is almost no attention going on in the collective level of effectiveness. So mm-hmm. how collective is the extended senior leadership team, and how do they know and how do you improve that? Because everybody will admit that if we could show up more effectively together, the organization right. would be getting better results. Right. 90% of organizations we go into are not focused on collective effectiveness. And that's the senior team's job. It that's, needs to that's be the job. Um, a that's strategic the job. priority on par with all the other strategic priorities that we're, we're right. driving.
0: And, and as you said earlier to to build development into the finance conversation, the
2: acquisition conversation, exactly. the diversifying conversation. Don't, what if don't do it as a one-off and lead it. In other words, it's vulnerable for the senior leader to step in and be about their own learning process. Mm-hmm. So that, so how do I step in? Lead, uh lead the process, own it, drive it forward over time, not as a one-off event here this year and next year, but how do we put in place a long-term developmental strategy where we can measure it and track it over time?
0: Right. And if a leader does that, what do you imagine happens for their business and their people?
2: Well, we have, obviously, lots of case studies of clients Mm -hmm. that have done it and who have not done it. So, Mm -hmm. um... We've seen turnarounds in business performance that, that track the leadership effectiveness scores. So if you plot them, they're parallel. So you see a major hockey stick and turnaround in the business performance. And the same is true in their leadership effectiveness scores.
0: So well, there's a real um, payoff in holding a developmental objective.
2: Absolutely.
0: And, and the developmental agenda.
2: Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. And we've seen the opposite. We've seen cases where we, you know, the t- senior team did not pay attention to it or mm-hmm. uh, resisted it pretty strongly mm-hmm. and uh, went out of business. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a lot of those stories, actually, both mm-hmm. directions. Mm-hmm.
0: And it seems to me that a leader really has to have hope and a leader has to have faith in what they can't see and faith yes. in, 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 in what really is possible. Given all the complexity, you know, it seems like that's that's another piece of the agenda that a leader has to hold is faith and hope. Now, we a, just have, sorry, go ahead. I
2: was going to go into a story.
0: I was, so, I was I was just going to say we have about a minute or two left, mm-hmm. and I know Bob that um, you you think a lot about consciousness and the next level leader, and I guess I guess what I would ask of you is what are some final thoughts that you have about creating uh, more of a creative or even beyond creative set of leaders that can actually work in our world and take things forward? We have, we have a minute left. So, is there anything yeah, like very a lot helpful, of things,
2: actually. But... I, I, think, I think we know how to do it. I think... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with the right tools and the right process, um we see rapid movement. Mm-hmm. development itself takes time, but you can get right. rapid breakthroughs in performance, and then development matures within that context. So I'm not pessimistic about what can happen
0: that's, that's great when to hear. we
2: really focus our attention on it,
0: mm-hmm. and I
2: think the world is desperate for it, so yes. what I might say to, to a senior leader listening would be... Invest in this development agenda we're talking about because it's good for business. But also know that you're evolving the kind of leadership that we need collectively. We need a higher level of leadership on this planet in order to um, create the kind of thriving future that we all would hope for ourselves and for our children. And that's only going to come from a higher order level of consciousness and play than is currently the norm.
0: Right. Thank you, Bob. Wise, wise words. It has been a total pleasure to work with you today. Uh, There's a lot more we could talk about. I thank you so much for sharing your ideas. You're welcome. And great to be with you, too. Yeah. Thanks very much. Bye now.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.